Let me start with a couple of blessings for the holiday, and we're diving into the Word of God. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kishanu Bechazdo V'tzivanu Al Mikre Megillah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your grace and has commanded us regarding the reading of the Megillah. Of course, you'll find that in the book of Esther. Mordecai tells us to read the Megillah every year. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Amen. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has wrought miracles for our forefathers in those days at this season. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has kept us alive, sustained us, and brought us to this season. Blessed are you, Lord, who exacts vengeance for his people Israel from all of their foes, the God who brings salvation. Amen? Can I hear an amen for that? God who brings salvation. It's always good to set apart these special days with a song or blessings or a little bit of a family tradition. It, it marks the day as special. So that's why we do that. It doesn't make us holy. It doesn't make us righteous, but it gives God glory. Amen? Listen, we're in the book of Isaiah. You say, but it's Purim. How in the world are you not in the book of Esther? Patience, my friends. I'll get there. But first, we're going to start with a principle found in the book of Isaiah, and I'm going to show you this principle and a pattern that follows all the way throughout Scripture, all the way throughout history, all the way throughout your life and into the future. It's a pattern that's super important to get tonight, but it starts in Isaiah, and then I'm going to show you the same pattern in the book of Esther. Is that a deal? Can we do that tonight? Isaiah chapter 45, verse 17 but Israel will be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You will never be put to shame or disgraced to ages everlasting. You see, friends, God does not like when his faithful servants are mistreated. He doesn't like it when others try to put people to shame. God does not usually stand around silent without doing something when his people are being mocked or being harmed. Now, we're very grateful for this pattern. Hopefully, it's affected your life already, but it's full in the Scripture. Let me give you another passage from the book of Isaiah, chapter 54, 13 through 17. It says, All your children will be taught by the Lord, and great will be their peace. In righteousness you will be established. Tyranny will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed. It will not come near you. If anyone does attack you, it will not be my doing. And whoever attacks you will surrender to you. See, it is I who created the blacksmith who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its work. And it is I who have created the destroyer to wreak havoc no weapon forged against you will prevail. You will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Let's stop and dig down a little bit there. Did you catch a couple of key phrases? Did you catch the pattern in Scripture, the promise God gave you that whoever attacks you will surrender to you? 
I hope you got that one because that one's going to pay off here in a few minutes when we get to the book of Esther. But did you also see in that passage I read from Isaiah 54, no weapon formed against you will prosper. It will not prevail. It doesn't say that there will be no weapons formed against you. There will be lots of weapons formed against you because you are a threat to the evil one's kingdom. So you can guarantee that there will be weapons formed against you. The issue is that those weapons will not harm you. So don't be afraid of them. Remember, we talk many times here at King of Kings that the enemy actually has only ever had one weapon. It's the only weapon he's ever had, and that is to lie. It's the only tool he's ever had, and he uses it in all kinds of creative forms, but it's the same one. It's a lie. And then third in this passage, did you notice the closing section? This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication for me. What does that mean? That means... You have a promise from God that your heritage, your inheritance, if you will, is this promise that if somebody tries to attack you, God will vindicate you and they will eventually surrender to you. So the next time somebody's attacking you, whether it's your reputation, they're trying to steal from you, they're trying to harm you physically, whatever it may be, unkind words, lies, you don't have to worry about it because what they've just done if they've put a target on their own back. Because it is a heritage of the Lord's people that whoever seeks to attack you will actually surrender to you in the end of the story. Now, this is a pattern we're going to see many times throughout Scripture, but it's going to show up in the story of Esther as well. Let me read you that, that last passage from Isaiah, and then we're going to move to the the story of Esther. Isaiah 50, 7 and 8. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. Did you see the courage there from Isaiah? Once you learn the principle, you say to the devil, you can't do anything. As long as I don't believe your lies, and as long as I don't leave open doors in my life to the demonic through a willfulness of sin, there's not a thing you can do to me. And even if you do, even if you try, those who attack me will surrender to me. This is my heritage, says the Lord. Shame is not part of his kingdom. He does not send it. He does not want shame in his kingdom. And when Adam and Eve first felt shame, God came to their rescue because he doesn't want shame in his kingdom. He's certainly not going to let your enemies put shame on you either. God will not sit by quietly and silently and let this happen. Now, with that understanding, with that foundation, with that heritage promise, with that pattern and principle, on display, we're going to jump into the book of Esther and watch how it unfolds. Paul did a wonderful reading. Hopefully, you've, you've read the Megillah yourself. In the story of Esther, we start with tragedy. Esther has lost her family, but God brings her Mordecai as an extended family. It's the cousin. He's much older than her, so he, he treats her like a daughter. Therefore, he gets the, the designation sometimes as uncle, but he's really the cousin and God intervened, even though she lost her parents, even though she was exiled from her homeland, 
Even though she was forced into a beauty pageant, she probably did not want to be part of. She, she may have even been forced into a marriage she didn't want to be part of. This is how the story starts. That does not seem like a great start to the story. But God is going to intervene here. And you know many other parts of the story. You know how Mordecai was faithful to serve the king and he exposed a plot to kill the king and later that, that gets written down. But there's another figure in the story. So before I say his name, I'm going to let you get it out of your system. And, and this will be the last time you respond with the boos and the hisses so we can get through the word of God tonight. But I'm going to let you do it one more time because we need to talk about Haman for a second. Well done. We're also going to talk about Mordecai tonight. And for those of you that like the whistle for Esther, we're going to talk about Esther. Very good. So now that will be the end of that because you got it out of your system. But Haman wanted the title of second in command. This is what he wanted. He was ambitious. He wanted a title of second in command. He wanted land. He wanted an estate. He wanted this position, the title, the honor. He wanted the signet ring. He wanted it all. Now, eventually, as you read the story, you realize that he did get the title. He did get the power, the position. He did get the ring. He even got the land and the estate. But he could not get the honor from everyone. Mordecai wouldn't give it to him because he wanted him to bow down in a way that would have violated the Torah. And Mordecai said, I'm sorry, I'm not doing that. And for that, Haman was very upset at Mordecai because he didn't get the honor he wanted. At that point, he devised a plot to kill Mordecai. Not only Mordecai, but all of his descendants. He wanted to kill all of his family, all of the Jews. It wasn't Mordecai alone. It was all the Jews now. It was anybody who put their trust in that God of the Torah. Let's get rid of those people. And this plot starts. But the minute the plot starts, Haman, not knowing the word of God, put a target on his own back. Because those who attack you will eventually surrender to you. You might say, where does that principle come from? It, didn't, it couldn't have started with Isaiah and Esther and Mordecai. Where did it start from? It started way back in Genesis chapter 12. I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. If anybody attacks you, they will surrender. This is your heritage promise, says the Lord. It started way back in Genesis. Haman has walked himself into a problem, and he put a target on his own back as soon as he plotted against the Jewish people. Haman sets up this day of destruction, this, this murderous day, and he's not going to stop at just Mordecai, but he wants all the Jewish people destroyed. Now, as we apply the principle to the story, we're going to watch God turn the tables. He's going to flip the script here according to his word. With Mordecai and the Jewish people now under attack, what did God do to intervene? How did he flip the script? How did he turn the tables? He'd done it before in scripture. How was he going to do it this time? Well, it began with the announcement of the plot, which was met with a response of Esther, Mordecai, and the Jewish people to go fast and pray for three days. So there, friends, is a little tool. Hopefully, you're going to grab that tool. You're going to put that in your pocket. The next time you feel attacked, 
There's a fasting and there's a prayer moment where God will meet you. You're not helpless. You're not a victim. You have a tool. You have a weapon. And it might just be fasting and prayer. So that was their first response. But remember what Haman wanted. Haman wanted to be second in command. But God was going to turn the tables on Haman. Esther chapter 10, verse 3. Listen to what it says. Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ashverosh, Ahasuerus or Xerxes in your Bibles, the preeminent among the Jews, and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all of the Jews. Haman wanted number two. Mordecai got it. Whoever attacks you will surrender to you. Do you understand the principle? You see how it's going to work? Now watch this play out over and over and over in the book of Esther. Mordecai got the title that Haman wanted. Mordecai got the position. Mordecai got the authority. Haman wanted the ring. He wanted that signet ring. Remember, to to write the letter and to send it out to 127 provinces on the day of the the Purim landed, on the day of Adar, where they were going to kill the Jews. He wrote the letter, and he wanted to seal it with the king's ring, and he wanted the signet ring of the king. That's what Haman wanted. But Esther chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, watch this. The same day the king gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman. Haman wanted the estate. Too bad. You attack the Jews, I'm giving it to Esther. You want the signet ring? Look what it says. And Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he and she were related. The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai. Haman, give me that ring back. I'm going to give it to Mordecai. Haman, give me that, that title back. Give it to Mordecai. Haman, get out of that office. I'm going to give that office to Mordecai. Your title, you don't have anymore. I'm giving it to Mordecai. Give me back your land. We're giving that to the family as well. Every time one of the enemies of the Jewish people rise up to attack, they are dooming themselves with judgment in accordance to Genesis 12. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. And if you want a target on your own back, then rise up against the Jewish people and watch what happens. I was talking to a friend today and we were, we were discussing all of the tragedy of the Jews and the history of the Jewish people and, and the Egyptians. And, and they, they came after Israel. Remember, they chased them down with a great army as they came to the Red Sea. And what happened? Don't do that. Do not try to attack Israel. What's going to happen? And all of their army drowned in the Red Sea. As soon as you move to attack, God says, nope, I'm going to flip the script. I'm going to turn the tables. It's going to be on you now. We were talking about World War II and all the tragedies that came out of World War II. And then you realize that, that, the, that the country that was devastated the most at the end of the war was the same country but really it was, the, it was the corrupt government of that country. It wasn't the people. It was the corrupt government of that country that had attacked the Jews the most. And this principle plays out all throughout history, all throughout the Bible, all throughout modern history. Haman wanted honor. He was mad at Mordecai because he couldn't get the honor. But Esther chapter 6 verse 11 says something about Mordecai. So Haman got the robe and the horse 
He robed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Oh, how that must have hurt. All he wanted was for Mordecai to bow down, and he wouldn't. And then the king, through a miraculous work of the Spirit, remembers, couldn't sleep. I believe that was from the Lord. Couldn't sleep that night. Calls in the historians, read me the history. They read the story of Mordecai. I don't think it was an accident the historians turned to that page. God doesn't do random. He kept the Hashuaris up. He brought in the historians. They thought they were thumbing through the scrolls. Nope, that was the Spirit of God. They stopped him right there. Well, let's read this story. They start to read the story of Mordecai and how he helped save the king. The king says, ah, I need to honor this man. What was done for him? Nothing, king. We never did anything to honor him. Well, we're going to change that. We're going to do it immediately. It's on my heart to do something immediately to honor him. Go in the courtyard and find the first person you can see. And you know the spirit was behind that, right? Here's Haman. You know, I just have these funny pictures in my head. I'm so sorry. I get these funny pictures. I get this picture of like Haman doesn't even want to go. Like, and the spirit of God is just pushing him. Nope, you're going to go. No, I don't want to go. Nope, you're going to be the one in the courtyard. Go. And there he is. Who's the person you see? Oh, it's Haman. Oh, great. Bring him on in. Haman, here's what we need to do. We need to honor Mordecai, your rival enemy. What? Yeah. I know, you know, Haman, you always wanted the honor, but tonight we're giving it to Mordecai. Now, the king doesn't know all of the spiritual implications, but God knows. God knows exactly what he's doing. He knows what Haman wants. He knows the plot. He's going to give it to Mordecai because that's what the Bible says. That's the principle. Haman makes the gallows. He says, I'm so tired of Mordecai. I got to get rid of this guy. He gets this great advice from his friends and family. He builds the gallows. They're going to hang Mordecai, right? Wrong. You don't get to do that to God's people. Esther 7, verse 9 and 10. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, a pole reaching to the height of 50 cubits stands by Haman's house. He had it set up for Mordecai, by the way, who spoke up to help the king. You remember that story, king. And the king said, then impale Haman on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole that he had set up for Mordecai. And then the king's fury subsided. Don't you dare build gallows to harm God's people because you're the one that's going to hang on those gallows. And it goes deeper. This story and this principle repeats over and over in the book of Esther. I'll go even further. Haman wanted to kill Mordecai, but not just Mordecai, all of the Jews. So he set up a day in which all of the Jews would be destroyed. The problem is the heritage principle is in play here and it's not going to work. Esther 9.14, so the king commanded that this be done, and an edict was issued in Susa, and then they impaled the 10 sons of Haman on it. Remember, it wasn't just Mordecai he wanted. He wanted all the Jews. And in return for wanting to kill all the descendants of the Jews, not only did Haman die, Haman's descendants died, because you don't do that to God's people. He wants to set up the day. So we, they, they cast the lots. But look what happens on the actual day. 
Esther 9, 1 and 2, on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. And on this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but now the tables were turned. That's what the Bible says. So I thought that was the great title to today's message. The tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities in all the provinces of the king to attack those determined to destroy them. No one could stand against them because the people of all the other nationalities were afraid of them. Haman set up a day to kill all of the Jews and instead the Jews get to fight in the battle and the Jews win. He set up the day for the army to be victorious and actually his army was defeated. He put a target on his own back. But it gets even deeper than that. Haman wanted one day to destroy the Jews and actually, when the Jews got the upper hand, God gave the Jews two days. You want one day to destroy? I'm giving them two days to actually win. It shows up here in the text as well. Esther chapter 9. If it pleases the king, Esther answered, give the Jews in Susa permission to carry out this day's edict tomorrow also. And let Haman's 10 sons be impaled on poles. Meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also assembled to protect themselves and get relief from their enemies. They killed 75,000 of them, but did not lay their hands on the plunder. This happened on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th day they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. What was supposed to be one day of mass murder for the Jews actually became two days of victory for the Jews in which 75,000 of their enemies were destroyed because of Haman's hatred and his plot to touch God's anointed. Esther 9, 18 and 19. The Jews in Susa, however, had assembled on the 13th and 14th and then on the 15th day, they rested and made a day of feasting and joy. This is why the rural Jews, those living in villages, observed the 14th of the month of Adar as a day of joy and feasting and a day of giving presents and gifts to each other. Team, y'all can come on up. I felt like this principle was very important for us to hear tonight. Those of you that are members of the congregation, those of you that live here in Israel, those maybe even Jewish with us online, it's unfortunate that the Jewish people have been attacked throughout thousands and thousands of years. Now, we know that there's a demonic spirit of anti-Semitism, right? We get that. And that spirit entices world leaders and individuals to think to themselves that the problems in my life, the problems in my country are all because of these Jewish people. That's what the demonic spirit lies to them about. And then some of them act on that, just like Haman did. Haman believed the lie and it came back to hurt him. But that is a demonic spirit of anti-Semitism. It played out in the book of Exodus. It played out here in the book of Esther. It's going to play out again in the book of Revelation. You're going to see that pattern over and over. But what God says to us is, you have a heritage. And your heritage is that whoever attacks you will actually end up surrendering to you. You don't have to be afraid. Be strong and courageous, friends. Friends. 
This is an age where people want to intimidate you. They want to keep you silent. They don't want you to be bold for the kingdom. There's going to be persecutions. There's going to be riots. There's going to be fights. There's going to be rock throwing. Some of you might even remember just a few years ago, we were having a worship concert here in this hall. And right outside the doors, we had 40 very angry Jewish Zionists who didn't, didn't want to let the Messianic Jewish community worship the God of creation. They didn't want that. And they started hitting people, breaking things, throwing bottles, spraying pepper spray, spitting on us. I'm not sure how they thought that was the love of God, but that's what they did. Persecution will come. The Bible does not say no one will ever form a weapon against you. It simply says that when they form a weapon against you, it won't work. And what was great about that night when we experienced violence and persecution, we didn't just have the worship concert one time, we actually did it twice. Same night. Those of you that were here, you remember, we did it for two hours, we cleared the room, we did it for another two hours. God is good. His principles are good. His promises are everlasting. I leave you with this verse. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. If you want to take this principle and just do a devotion on it, go a little bit deeper, you can also study Genesis chapter 50. When Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, you remember the jealousy, the one that God had called God's anointed, they, they, they raised their hand against him and they sold him into slavery. And the irony of that was found in Genesis 50. And it says, Joseph's brothers then came and threw themselves down in front of him. And they said to Joseph, we are your slaves. They sold him into slavery. But later they bowed down and said, we are your slaves. Because God's promises always work. He's a faithful God. Joseph has a, a moment, I think, filled with the Holy Spirit. And Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. It's the same thing that happened for the Jews in Esther. What the enemy meant for evil, God used for good. Would you stand up with me? I want to just pray a prayer of blessing over you. We have a special prayer time tonight that we call Deeper Connections. So instead of having a prayer team come down front, we're going to invite you as individuals to come to the altar. If the Spirit leads you, come to the altar. Release to the Lord whatever needs to be released. Repent of what needs to be repented of. If you're feeling attacked, you're feeling pressures, you're feeling that God is not there for you, come to the altar. Tell Him what's on your heart that He might come to your rescue tonight. And claim your heritage. It's yours. He promised it to you. Come to the front tonight if you need to. And claim your heritage. Remind the Lord of his goodness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the consistent patterns that make it easy to see 
what your heart is really like. We thank you that you blessed Abraham with this. You blessed Isaiah with it. You blessed Esther and Mordecai with it. You blessed Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Joseph, Jacob, Isaac, David. You blessed all of your servants with this heritage principle that when a giant comes in front of you to intimidate you, don't worry. I'll take care of it. And whoever attacks you will surrender. We receive the heritage. If you want to receive that from the Lord tonight, just lift your hands or do whatever you do to, to receive a blessing from God. Father, we receive the heritage because your word said it and you promised it. We receive it tonight that we are protected by the Holy Spirit. We are surrounded by angels. We can be bold for your kingdom because you will protect your people. Help us to not be intimidated anymore in these last days when people need to hear the gospel of the kingdom more than ever before. Give us boldness because we trust in you, in Yeshua's name. Amen, amen. We're gonna worship for a few minutes. Just let the altar be open and then Pastor Mike will come and close us.